Hi everyone, welcome back to our uh, not so secret but still too secret of societies where we try to figure out what in the world can we do so that we make it easier to take care of our people, lower some of the human debt and make people's lives at work decent. Yes. Hello, welcome from my side, I'm Tina Blomstrom. And I'm Alessandria Polizzi. And we talk to you once a week or so and to other people about what we see happening in the world of HR, technology, and culture, really. So um, this week, we're up in arms about the two, uh, we're right, one topic to a degree, right? The same topic, we're always up in arms, only with more more data this time. What, what has happened over the last week, Alessandria, that we date our show with it? Well, we have a ton of different studies, research articles, people are putting out their opinions. I guess everyone is fresh back from vacation, so we're coming in hot. Um, but I think one of the ones that uh, kind of builds on our last discussion was about the whole work from home or remote work or hybrid work and how that seems to be slipping. We seem to be sucking things back to um, believing we can go back to how we were before, which we all know was incredibly dysfunctional and headed towards a cliff anyway. Um, and so I, you you came across this fantastic video that has data in it that I think is really important. And if what we're doing is supporting people in role with ways to articulate and support this work, this is a great example and a great resource of how we can help them. And I'll get in a second into what that is. And I, I urge everyone to find it and use it internally. And what we're giving you today, the same up in armness we have about it, maybe dial down a bit. You could use the exact same thing when talking to your executives, because and, um, thankfully, these two things, I think, are so beyond doubt that you don't need to explain them. You don't need to defend them. It is I would urge you to just present the facts. The first fact, again, is is what Alessandria was alluding to, which is I have a very close friend in Australia called Karen Ferris. She is one of the most intelligent human beings you'll ever meet. She's an extremely um, attentive curator. She has consumed more data on people and culture and 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 topics of the of the world of work in the last few years than most people I know. So I've always kind of been very reverent towards her opinion and she has been unwaveringly clear on the on the on the right things we all have in common we all know work from everywhere is really the 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 truth we all know forcing people is not the way we all know that we have to do things but what Karen has done systematically was was give them even small ways in which to do it. She's put out a resiliator something. She's worked to make a program in a bank. She's worked with Atlassian. She's done amazing things. Anyways, in short, um, she put out a couple of days ago an article. I can't find the name of, but I will while we're talking. Well, I have the video up on my screen, so I'll share the... Excellent. So we'll have a link for you guys. Long story short, what is this all about is a piece of compelling data collection. Karen has looked around and has collated what executives of different companies have um, have have said about their stance towards remote work. And then we'll let her tell you herself. Uh, and then maybe we can get her live on on the on the show so that she tells us 
kind of from her perspective, when you create something as compelling as this is, and you will see how incredibly big it is, why isn't this in the papers? Why isn't this on the BBC? Why don't you guys already have it before hearing from us? It's because, like many other modest uh, thinkers of the day, Karen is not a marketer. She's not going to put herself out there. And also it's because her findings and her opinion are immensely unpopular with some CEOs. So let's look at what she found. Okay, so I don't think we can actually hear her, but we can absolutely read what she yeah, said. Yes, we can. So let's go back to the, to the chart uh, here, which you can see. Just so, right. So you can see here, for example, uh, positive uh, positions from executives on remote work versus negative. And you can just very clearly see a demarcation between their Glassdoor Indeed and Comparably scores, but also their financial performance. Um, and then even being listed among the 100 best companies. So uh, there's a, while belief systems may fight against this and judgments and biases may fight against this, the data is pretty darn clear. Um, and as I said, we're committed to helping provide resources for people in role who are trying to do this work. And this is a great example of the kinds of things that, that we right. can help provide. So I would genuinely just advise copy and paste um, this, the methodology from the, you don't need to say it's necessarily, obviously attributed to Karen, but, but copy and paste it on a couple of slides and say, this is what we found. It doesn't matter who found it. This is the truth. In the last year, these companies have performed as follows. This is not interpretative. This is not what we believe, not our opinion. It's how they did at the stock market. And it is their attitude towards remote work out of their own leader's mouth. Do you want to be here or here? And I think you'll, you'll be doing really well calming down, staving off some paranoia about coming back if you used at least the visual representation that Karen has correlated for us. Thank you. Well, I think the other thing that you can do is, let's say you do that and they still don't bite. Okay, that, that gives you great insight into how much work and how much progress you're going to be able to make in that organization. Because if you see this and you say, yeah, I still don't buy it, <clears throat> there's something else going on that you, as the person who's trying to be the spearhead of this, that you need to be aware of, that is not a failure on your part. That is a failure on right. their part. And so recognizing that um, that rejection of fact is very difficult to, to shift. Right. Um, if we don't uh, embrace data that doesn't agree with us, mm -hmm. uh, then anything we do is going to be a pretty, pretty heavy lift. Right. Why, why do we ever question it? Why do we ever care about data in general if we're not going to, we're only going to be electing the one that feeds our bias? But and, and speaking of data that we will elect, um, because that data seems to feed into what we believe, here's the second thing you could be using this week. And I'm sure if you're, you'll probably have it has passed by your ear, at least the fact that one of the big consulting names, I'll name them. I don't have a problem. They already hate me anyways. McKinsey, they, uh, they came out with a report, uh, on the productivity of uh, developers specifically, but technology people, testers as well, anyone they could find to check. Um, and their report is not only an abomination as in theory, uh, but it contains 
an, an, a piece of what I, I would say is a gift from McKinsey to us because it is such an in, insane phrase that they have been ridiculed online for it quite heavily and people have commented on it. And I think it will be a difficult thing to explain away because at the minimum, the the more senior people in McKinsey that should have caught such an absurdity put in writing didn't. And at the at most likely, they don't care. So well, what we have is essentially a report that at some point, and I might not be using the correct formulation, I, I probably should, um, but the words used are... Once again, I have it. If you oh, want me to share. I got, please, let, let me not put her the genius. A learner. Luckily, this has no audio, so uh, here we go. You're a genius. Otherwise, people will think I'm, I'm in, inventing this. There's no way... Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I mean, yes, you can measure software developer productivity. Right, um, which, by the way, I don't even want to go into because it is absolutely insane. There's no such thing as measuring customer satisfaction. There's no such thing as really measuring agile. I don't want to go into that because it's insane. Yep. If you scroll down to where it says, it was like an, an add-on at the end where it said, or even if you, if you look for um, design-centric, I think you'll find it, Control-F, avoiding... Yeah. Funny that, avoiding metrics missteps. This is the only one. Such as, for example, one company found that its most talented developers were spending excessive time on non-coding activities, such as design sessions or managing interdependencies across team. Oh, my. Yes. I am Heaven forbid. I am genuinely forbid. I am genuinely pleased because I feel like this is a moment where you can go, I'm sorry, do we still think they are the Bible? Do we and still then, believe? Look at the other one. Yeah. Relatively low contribution from developers new to the organization because I, of their onboarding and mentorship programs. <laughs> We're spending too much time onboarding. Yeah. I, I mean, all of it is, is pretty spectacular, but I think the fact that you can even, I, I like us to take a step back and realize how 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 preposterous this is. This is not a, a, an AI writing. They have had to have had a category of measurement that was non-coding activities. Yeah. So I would urge us to realize this is not just some exec didn't pay attention when some younger people in McKinsey said the wrong thing. This is their belief that. There are activities that are non-coding. They are not core to what these people need to do. It just yeah. was my mind. Yeah. Get like back behind your computer, monkey. Get back behind your computer. I, I cannot begin to tell you how much it upsets me because it just gives me the feeling that they have never interacted with a tech team in their life, that they've never met one. They must be. You cannot tell me these people have, and that's what they write down. Well, and they, or a human, to be honest, I mean, because we know that you can't do the same thing for this for a long period of time and be effective. I mean, we are we know from what we know about our brains and how humans work that maximum we can go 90 minutes to two hours. Um, and that to, just to say, oh, they're spending too much time doing things that are core and critical to oh, determining producing your job. It's not even, they weren't saying they are using too much time socializing or whatever, which I would have jumped at them for, but because they're not, people don't do that. What they're using time doing, what their con contention point was, they are doing too much other stuff that makes them do the stuff we asked for. 
And, yeah. and that and somehow is their fault that reflects in their productivity and not your fault, enterprise, that put too much shit in their way. If indeed they exactly. were blockers and not needed times for recharging and not needed times for connection and for creativity. It's just an insane proposition. So I, I hope that you guys listening to this, you can take this, copy and paste it. Take it to your execs next time Next time they tell you, yeah, I don't know about your inner corner consultants like this lady that made this thing. Let's <laughs> buy from McKinsey because we can trust them. Because can you trust them? This is what McKinsey is telling you. And this is what a simple data-based reality shows. Yeah. And I think it's a really good comparison because what happens is we get these big consulting firms, right? And it becomes a little bit of an echo chamber. I don't really see a lot of them um, standing out or standing up for uh, a, anything controversial or anything that might contradict what the executives already believe. So they're just feeding them back what they want to hear. Um, and, you know, the only one that I see, and I'm really interested in watching how this unfolds, is well, Deloitte has their human sustainability mm -hmm. work. But here's the thing. McKinsey also has oh, work on workplace mental health. They, they've got both sides happening, right? Where um, another article. On paper, uh, they have both sides happening. But the, the things that you see in results are one side only. That's my mm -hmm. fear. There are many big consultancies that have amazing things. They're talking about diversity through neuroinclusion. They're talking about, and when you dig deeper, that's a lot of varnish and a lot of PR mm -hmm. talk and very little in the way of, and the things that they do come out with are these reports and yeah. the decks that accompany the report and put into, okay, we joke and we're like, oh my God, isn't this insane? And the human debt is immense, but there will be physical people out there, developers whose life will considerably worsen because of this report. It's not a joke. When you when you put out something that has to do with people's livelihood and the people's mental state and you encourage the place they're in to make it worse for them instead of better for them, I feel you're responsible. And I think we need to start being serious about these things that we do at work because it is people's lives. It is not yeah. just a number. It's not a resource. If you tell people they can't be doing uh, interdependencies between teams, some idiotic manager is going to tell them they're not allowed to talk to another team. Or some idiotic manager is going to tell them, why are you still talking about design? You should only be coding. It cannot be putting things that are irresponsible out there because we will genuinely affect people's lives at the other end. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's why psychological health and safety is part of a health and safety strategy as well as a business strategy, right? So it's about keeping your employees healthy and safe and help not treating them like machines. Uh, because when we have people, what's interesting to me is again, about the level of the need for control um, and taking out free time, thinking time, um, human time, I would call it, uh, which we had more of when we were home, right? When we were, with, during the last three years, we've had more, and especially during that initial time, we had more thinking time. And when people talk about why do we have more burnout now? Because people had a chance to actually self-reflect. Yes. Yes. And so if we squeeze all that out, then people can go back to this just kind of grindstone um, approach.
I think you're, this is a really good point. I, I made a big, um, I, I tend to do this. I see trends early. I make a big stink about them. And by the time I get bored of them, they just kind of come around. And <laughs> it's kind of what happened with work from everywhere. It's what happened with, um, I mean, I saw this early. The, the, it's not only burnout. I the, the, this, this term we talked about ages ago that was genuinely coined as post-pandemic stress disorder. And I feel like to a degree we're all affected by it. But most of us that have been thrust into sudden um, remote work realities have gone through an even more complicated internal process of trying to reestablish who they are, what they are. They've had to do these internal, what the hell is this work? Who the hell am I working with? Why am I working? They've had to do all of this internally, whether they know they've done it or not. We all did them. These conversations, like you say, most of them happened in the subconscious and led to burnout, led to people being maybe more considerate of what their brands are and what their, their lives are going. But also, we still have this 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 fun, fundamental layer of tiredness, of of much less patience, of much less of of empathy fatigue because people died all over. It's not just this one person. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's all still there, and I think it's 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 coming to bite us all in different ways. And in a way that's going to, I genuinely think we're all coming with our problems to it. And the, the, the human that is growing by the minute, like I am, I am hyperventilating. When we ask people to come back, it's growing. When we uh, take steps back into discussing feelings and emotions and humanity at work, the human that is growing, when any of the things we gain that we're losing now in this silly post-pandemic moment when some CEOs are making some silly moves, all of them will come bite us. So to lessen it, let's keep to the big things. And it's easy for me because I'm like, I, like I say every time, I only see the big things. But, you know, for people we're talking to, I think go back to them and go like, look, data, look, non-data with title. Where do yeah. we? <laughs> That's right. Non-data with title. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what we also need to do is change happens slowly and in small moves, right? So it, it's not going to be, I'm going to do this one presentation and this one conversation and all of a sudden everybody's minds are going to change. People are going to be more open, et cetera, et cetera. It is weaving this into the fabric of everything that we do within the organization and looking at changes implementations, communications, restructures, new hires, onboarding, all through the lens of what does a human need? Remuneration, the way you show people you value them. You have so many things you should be worried about that you should be discussing from zero. In, and that's not only in HR, right? Everyone functions in this tailorist, non-fit-for-purpose non, non situation, right? We all live in this. I, I think we're on the verge of much bigger changes. I think to a degree, I've come down on insisting work from everywhere, work from everywhere, outcomes only, don't be ridiculous, because I don't even think that this is going to be an issue. I urge us to remember that we are exiting the world, workforce, those of us that are still kind of having some fight in us. And we almost have, I hate being this, painting us with that white of brushes, but I see a lot more 
disillusionment or rather lack of of hunger to fix things in our age group, which is sad, I think. It's a bit early for us to go, never mind that. Um, and I, I think that we can't ask anything of older generations if we do that. And also, I think the new generation's life at work will be a, completely and utterly different. Completely and utterly different. I think these conversations where we should work, they'll sort themselves when workers themselves will dictate it, and they will. These conversations about how and when we should work, the people will solve these by the mere fact that they will demand the self-respect that the human should have always had at work and the new generation will and they will demand adaptations and respect and understanding and validation and value and kind of a, a woke clean atmosphere and they will demand it and they will not give you work unless you give them that so i'm not really worried about growing organizations towards what the new generation will want as the minimum I'm really worried about an, giving the new generation this climate of minute lies, this climate of it's okay to not bring your whole self. I, it's okay. Some things they'll grab out of us, but we are bringing them into this wrong environment and it's not right for us. And I, I, I sometimes say this to CEOs. When, when we chat about this in their life, but it's too late for me. I'm not going to make this big of change in the two or three years that I have left. And everyone goes through those conversations, right? And I can understand. But one of the things I say is, I think the world changed altogether, not at work only. I think the world changed altogether overnight with COVID. We all had an, a come to Jesus moment. We didn't know it had it or needed or wanted. And it's all about... Now it has to be all about who we are and emotions and how we feel and how we interact and how we are human. And that's everywhere. And at work, if we don't find it faster, we won't be making products and technology anymore. That is why culture will be tackled first, I think. Yeah, well, and the other thing is in those conversations about it's too late for me or, you know, I'm kind of already set in my... Um, if your last 10 years will be better if you focus on even just treating yourself and other people like humans, these are basic skills of starting with curiosity, asking questions, self-compassion, self-coaching versus self-criticism. This will create a healthier life for the, the people at work, not just the workplace. These are skills that apply everywhere. Um, and can and have been scientifically proven to have better outcomes, both financially and from a health perspective and mm. psychologically. So it's not just it, it. It's really a decision about quality of life, about mm. quality of work. Um, do I want to, you know, it's like I, I've always walked barefoot. Uh, it's too late for me to get used to wearing shoes. Uh, yeah, but eventually that's going to feel a lot better. Yeah, yeah. That's very true. Very, very true. And I think everyone should just kind of realize we're not only talking, we're not, we're not, we're not those people that are against the enterprise or against the leaders or it's all about the worker and stuff. Um, who we are is we all have different types of challenges. There's more challenges in the leadership realm than anyone will ever comprehend unless they've ever, they've ever 
manage people. So no one's saying it's easy. But I I think the big difference these days is going to be between awake or existing and subsisting. So I think we have a choice at work. We can be fully in or quite continue quite quitting like we have done. Um mm-hmm. And in, unfortunately, because the, the size of the problem is so big, I think anyone who chooses to um, intentionally not engage in any human work, that is almost, uh, I don't find that admirable, to put it mildly, but I can understand why people would do it. Um, and I also think the more of these things we can put in a library, the, even these that we talked about today, even any type of resource that would ever help one HR director, go to a CEO and say, you know, I've been saying this for a year, but I'm dead serious now. Can we now do that conversation about how we really do things here? Yeah, and it doesn't have to be scary, right? It doesn't have to be about, you know, we're not talking about everybody just kind of putting all their dirty laundry out there, but we're talking about better understanding ourselves in order to understand each other. There's some basic things we can do. There's some basic psychosocial hazards we can address and all of those are available, proven, and s- relatively small. Easy. I mean, yeah, over time, yeah. So it's just a matter of getting started. Very true. So we hope you can use these two things we've left you with today. Uh, we'll try to gather more. We are also, I am also thinking, I don't know if Alessandra wants to be that horrible or not, of a, of a small segment that's about... Why in the hell did we need a picnic on the floor of this enterprise? Um, because I'll, I'll remove the name of the of the of the companies, obviously. But we need to be real. There's so much more than is doing. If the three hundred pounds we spent on the picnic, we could have kept them for another two days so that we learn about emotions together from a book, it would have been probably better. So, with that, good luck. We hope you find ways. Um, to subsist and resist and and feel better about this hard work we're doing. Um, The world needs you. See you next week. Thanks. Bye.